Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast. I'm very excited for today's episode because we're going to be talking about some games that have maybe been going along in the background for a while now. Uh, you know, we talked about two games that, that really captured our attention and, and took up a considerable amount of time the last time we did this. And so we, we've delved into our library of things we've been looking for an excuse to talk about. And of course, when I say we, I am referring to my uh, lovely co-host, Walter Fedchuk. Walter, how you doing, bud? I am doing, uh, I'm doing very well. It's been a, it's been a lovely, uh, a lovely week here in the, uh, the Rough Draft Studios based out of Rochester, New York. Uh, I was very excited to record uh, tonight with you. It just nice step away from the normal monotony of the day-to-day and uh i'm gonna be on vacation again in two weeks i'm not going anywhere but i'm just i'm counting down two more weeks and i'm on vacation again so it, it's it's lovely it's a lovely time uh to be me we're actually going to a concert on tuesday so we're gonna go see elvis costello oh that's great awesome have you ever seen elvis costello i have no before? idea who this is this is this is someone that my partner wanted to see i i have no idea what his music <laughs> is like or anything like that but she wanted to go see him it's an hour drive away and i said screw it let's go i was gonna say i do not think of you as an elvis costello guy knowing what i know about your music taste but elvis costello is incredibly talented he's been doing this whole music thing for 50 years now so um uh, well, a lot to look forward to, I would say. I, I'm i curious how your concert experience will differ from the Dreamcatcher concert I saw a couple weeks back. I imagine it's going to be slightly different vibes, to say the least. So you'll have to let us know uh, once you get there what you think. But Walter, th- we're not here to talk about the wonderful musical stylings of Elvis Costello. We are here to talk about some video games that we have been playing. What have you been playing these last couple of weeks? Yeah, so for like for like three months, I've been playing uh, Elvis Costello Hero. Uh, it's a Guitar <laughs> Hero style game where you play as Elvis Costello and his music, but you don't get to listen to any of the music. Uh, no, in reality, uh, I I have I haven't actually played it for a couple of weeks, but uh, I played Divinity Original Sin two. Um, it is a it is a D and D style um kind of turn-based rpg a western style uh turn-based rpg um that i have had on my back burner for a very long time and actually um is a game that i played with a couple of my friends so the the premise is you have this party of four and if you're playing by yourself you can you know you have then three uh cpu characters that you can control and interact with or if you have friends you can play with up to four friends as well and you can either choose from uh, preset characters that are already in the game already have plots and stories attached to them or you can create your own characters and uh, it does differ from D in terms of the the like abilities and attributes uh, underneath that uh so i played as a dwarf that specialized in uh in necromancy and warfare so warfare is very like in your face it's a lot of like tanking and um and you know taunts and stuns and crowd control and that type of thing and then uh you know necromancy is i i just i picked it because the first abilities were there was like a healing ability where if there's blood on the ground you absorb it and it heals you or the ally you know whatever you target and uh you also start with an ability called mosquito swarm which is just like bleed damage and i was just like hey that seems like a like you know this like god of war style like you know what would make sense for magic usage with like a warfare cleric it's like ah like blood like just drench the ground in blood um and I gave him the the ability to talk to animals at the beginning of it, which proved to be very, very important <laughs> across the playthrough. Uh, so yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I, I didn't beat the game by any stretch of the imagination. I've, I've got just under 40 hours in it, and I'm pretty sure it's like a nearly 80, 100 hour game. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed the time that I did spend with it. And, you know, we kind of just got bored and we're ready to move on to something else. Um, but yeah, I I would say we had a lot of fun, and you know if you like uh, if you like D and G D and D Western style RPGs, like I I yeah, it's fun. 
Okay, you've given me like five things that I want to jump off. Okay. Of, but I'm going to start with the D&D analogy that you've circled back to here. Because I obviously play a lot of D&D. I'm currently running three different D&D games that all take place in the same universe and affect each other because I am a crazy person. So when you talk about a D&D comparison, that is going to automatically intrigue me. Uh, but D&D games have been very up and down over the years. It can be hard for certain ideas to translate over to a video game. So when you compare it to D&D in terms of its style, what are the things that it emulates from D&D that it does really well? And what are the things that it changes from D&D in order to be a video game? Well, so just right off the bat, it's not D&D system. Um, it, it is a separate uh, standalone system. I believe uh, it, it's one that they sort of crafted themselves. Um, it's not Pathfinder or anything like that. It is kind of its own standalone system. Um, I think just in general, the whole, the, the party mechanics, the, the sort of, okay, you have like a large quest that you're, you're, you're set out to do, but as you are moving across the world, there are other quests that you pick up that distract you. Um, I think it's very intuitive in terms of like the equipment, not the equipment, but like the items that you pick up um, and how you can use them and the, the usage as part of your turn. Um, as part of the turn-based mechanics, instead of having, you know, like like skill points or anything, they have like a set amount of, of action points that you can use that are then spent um, you know, moving and, and performing actions and some spells require more action points than others and using an item is one. So there's a lot of there's a lot of the tactics, I think, that you get from when you play tabletop, uh, not just D&D, but tabletop in general. There is a lot of the tactical aspect of it when it comes to combat and you are you're on a on a map, basically, you're on a board, essentially, when these encounters, these battle encounters that you come into happen, you are sort of cordoned off and you're like, all right, this is your zone. This is the area in which you guys can operate and, and do all of these things and the way your abilities can interact with the environment if there is you know one of the things that divinity does is that it allows you to create puddles essentially or zones so if you cast a fire spell it's gonna catch the ground on fire and then that has an impact and it does damage the longer people stand inside of it um if you cast you know a rain spell water will go on the ground and then if somebody casts a cold spell right after it'll freeze the water and then that has an impact um there's no dice rolling in in front of you you're not you know like clicking and rolling dice it is all done in the back end that you know using your stats and all that jazz so you don't have to worry about calculating percentage of rolls or anything like that. Everything is laid out in front of you. It'll tell you, you got an 86% chance to hit if you just, you know, do an attack. It'll show you the splash range of your spells. It'll show you if you fire a lightning bolt that goes in a line, exactly what it's going to hit. It's going to highlight all that for you. Um, beyond the actual just combat part of it, there are the, R, you know, the RPG elements that are impacted by a, a number of things. It's impacted by the race you choose. It's impacted by the sort of traits that you have. It's impacted by just raw statistics. Do you have a high enough, um, you know, charisma skill essentially to to lie to this person or things like that? Um, and it really makes having a varied party quite important if all of you are like i'm just gonna be a big dumb dwarf and all we're gonna do is swing hammers i am sure this game is easily playable in that but there's gonna be a lot of things that are sort of gated off that you can't do if you don't have these other elements to the characters i brought up that my dwarf can speak to animals and there's been numerous quests that can only be accessible if somebody in your party can speak to animals um, uh, one in particular was I remember we we were in this um, this cave that then led up to what ended up being somebody's basement, and in this cave there was a turtle, uh, a tortoise, and it was very weird. Oh, weird spot for a tortoise. And if you talk to him and you can't speak to animals, it just makes like a groan, which is you know a turtle noise. And if you talk to it and you can speak to animals, it tells you this story about how it's in love with this rat. But the rat moves too fast, and it can't tell the rat how it feels. So then you try to talk to the rat, and the rat's just like, I'm hungry. Like, feed me, feed me, feed me. So you go, well, how do I get this rat close to the turtle? Well, 
spoiler alert, sorry, don't don't want to ruin a quest, but this is a very minor quest. You put food on the ground that leads the rat over to the turtle. And once they get close enough, then your quest, you know, quest log pops and boom, you've solved the puzzle. And now the turtle and the rat are together and you get, you know, some experience, some gold, some items, whatever. So in, in all honesty, I think it is a it is a pretty fun translation of a tabletop experience without needing to have a dm the game is the dm for you and you are just interacting with the world around it as you are going on your main quest and you're doing all the side quests and and fighting encounters and so on and so forth i mean all first of all a lot of the combat stuff you described feels very xcom in terms of knowing your percentages, being able to see how certain things would interact, being able to play around with the environment. All of that sounds great as far as the the turn-based combat goes. I feel like a lot of those things are so important towards having a dynamic world that makes you really feel like you are rewarded for making intelligent choices. I want to get to the the talking to animals thing, because that's the part I find most fascinating with games like this. When I did my episode on the Outer Worlds, I focused on how much I loved being able to take the speech options for so many things, and how many quests I tried to get around by maxing out my persuasion and eventually maxing out my deception, and I think I even maxed out my intimidation by the end as well, because I always find it very interesting to see the non-violent options that a game can give you if you are willing to invest in these alternate ways of exploring a mission. Do you feel like this is a game... It it sounds like this is certainly a game that rewards the kind of player that I tend to be. Do you think that if you're someone who, you know, maybe is going to pick this game up after hearing what you have to say about it, is it something that you would say should be made a priority, that you should be really focusing on, getting at least one character with those kinds of persuasive skills so that you can uh, unlock all of these different options? Or are there things that uh, you think the game gives for all sorts of different builds uh, that are, are kind of give a, enough of a pro and con that any strategy is going to feel satisfying? So your your argument here is whether you should mid-max. And... <laughs> And I don't say that negatively. I, I that that's honestly like what you're asking is like, should I play this game in a in a super optimal manner? Um, and I'd say no. Like like I said, you're a party of four, and you have the option to choose from all from these other pre-made characters that'll join your party. You know, as your your to fill out the foursome basically, and you don't have to bring a talkie boy. Like you're not gonna be able to have a character of every race there's there's five six races that you can play you're not gonna be able to have one of all of them and i guarantee you at some point in the in the game you're gonna need a dwarf and maybe you didn't bring the dwarf with you maybe that wasn't one of the characters you played and hey you know what too bad you don't get to have that 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 conversation option but maybe instead that dwarf that you talk to instead of having the the dwarf option maybe they have the trait of the scholar or the soldier and you can use that trait instead um so i would say yeah it can you min max this and and fully optimize everything and make sure that everything flows together absolutely can you make sure you have two mages and one of them casts water stuff and one of them casts lightning stuff absolutely you could totally do it but i don't think the game necessarily rewards you or punishes you for not having as many options as possible you know i i I took the speak to animals thing animals thing because my brother i was playing with my brother and he sort of hinted at like hey it would be nice if we had this and i didn't have any other traits at the time that i was looking at that was like you know what i really want that trait so i just took it I just said, hey, screw it. I'll take the talk to animals. It'll be fun. You've got this like war druid or war dwarf, you know, frontline war dwarf that casts necromancy. But you know what? He really likes to talk to all the rats and he likes to talk to the dogs. The best part, Chase, you can talk to the dogs and the dogs will talk to you back. Some of them. Are they good boys? I mean, some of them are. 
there's some that aren't good boys. There are some that are are used by the the the, the government um, uh-huh. to hunt people of your kind, and uh, they they're there to kill you. Um, but you can still talk to them, and then they might attack you. But you can still talk to them. And and Chase, I will I will tell you this: there is one quest very early on with a dog, where it's looking for a ball, and if you bring it a ball. He's really, really happy. Like Aww. he's a really, really happy dog. Like really, really happy dog. And can you recruit a dog <laughs> as a party member? No, you cannot. But there's no. there's there's plenty of dogs all over the place. Like in the towns, there's plenty of dogs that you can talk to. There are plenty of them that you can talk to. That's you can fair. get your fill of dogs. Um, but like there are moments where we've gone into a dungeon, and if you talk to a rat. That might be one way of getting a piece of information. There might be other pieces of information, like if you just wait and listen to guards do guard things where they tell you, hey, the, the you know warden keeps the key in the second drawer on his desk. You might hear that, or maybe the rat says, well, the warden, the warden is always sending people back to grab something from his desk, and he uses that to open the door. Like, you're getting those bits of pieces of information. Um, so I wouldn't say that if you're if you're not there's no way to have absolutely every every piece of uh, you know every tool at your arsenal at all times. Um, that is a way to play. You can try to do that, and the game won't punish you for doing that, and it won't punish you for not doing that. It's it's very flexible in allowing you to sort of craft the experience that you want. And that flexibility is really important for a game like this, right? Um, because you want to reward everybody for the way that they want to play. And, you know, just because I am someone who will always go uh, team every speech option available to me, please and thank you all of the way. Uh, I, I think it's great that, like, for example, some of them are, are class restricted or race restricted. Like that forces you to recognize there will always be trade-offs and you can't do it all. Do you feel like you've ever missed out in a way where you're like, oh, I wish I could go back and have a different setup here because it would have allowed me to explore this thing that seemed really cool. Because I always worry with a game that is as long as something like Divinity Original Sin 2 is that I'll miss the thing that I would have had the most fun with knowing that I will never go back to replay a game of that length again because I just simply don't have time to do so. So here's here's the the response to that chase. Um, do you have regret that you picked Char- Armander instead of Bulbasaur when you play Red version? Every day of my no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you, you do have to make choices. It's fair, and that's part of the experience. Is that that's part of the the experience with any type of sort of open world game? Is that at some point you have to make choices you have to make a decision and you have to live going forward with that decision there are so many decisions and so many dialogue options in in divinity that sure could you save scum every single one go through quick as many as you want and go oh well i like that one better absolutely but you don't know long term how that will necessarily affect that quest that person or another quest um there there's a part where you get to you get out of like the starting area that teaches you everything and again there's this government that's in charge that is sort of against you as sorcerers and you interact with them and you get told hey there's this there's this issue between us and the dwarves the dwarves keep attacking our supply routes and all of these things you know, go find me information for that. And you go do that. Well, then you start interacting with the dwarves and they have their own quest line. And all of a sudden, now you are at odds with two two of your quests. So the decisions that you make as the dwarves, until you go try to turn that information in with the government, you don't know how that's going to interact with it. You know, ultimately, we, we started interacting with the dwarves and we forgot about, it. you know, we didn't want to deal with the government anymore. So I have no idea what the consequence of those actions are now. I don't know if we're going to go back there and they're going to be like, you're a traitor, and now I'm in a boss battle. I have no idea. You you could play for hours before you find the consequences of some of your decisions. Um, and again, the, the game doesn't punish you for that. It, it allows you to 
do what you want to do, make your decisions, and then provide you with the story from there, with your with you know more options from there. And I think you really kind of the decisions that you might regret regret, I think, get kind of lost as you continue on and you go, oh, well, this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. And then you have completely forgotten about that decision that you flipped the coin on instead of going with your gut. So maybe they're there, but I definitely didn't feel like, oh, damn, I really wish I had done this other thing instead. Well, that's important for this kind of game, right? You want to make sure that you feel like if you want to go back, there's something else you can gain. But if you only have the one experience, you feel like you got a full fleshed out experience. So it seems like it nails that side of it and a lot of the gameplay elements that you'd want for a game like this. Let's talk a little bit more about the world itself, because this is part of the Divinity series, which is one that I haven't engaged much with. I'm very aware of Divinity as a series. I know Original Sin was like the fourth game in the series, and it was liked enough that it got its own sequel, uh, which is how we're talking about this game now. But do you think... I, I guess, what are your thoughts on the world of uh, Rivalon as a whole? Um, what are the things that you think really work well about it? And are, are there is there anything that you're like, eh, I don't know about this one? Um, I th- I think it works well. It very much reads like somebody's high fantasy tabletop style campaign. Um, you have, you know, a number of different factions that are all working against each other. You have sort of this overarching plot in your main quest that, you know, makes each individual player, each, each individual, you know, character that might be used, whether you're using, you know, whether it's just you playing by yourself and you have your three sidekicks as your party, or whether you're playing with your friends, that, you know, gives attachment and importance to all of them, but you are working together, but also against each other, because it seems to point out that maybe at the end, you might have to turn against your party members. I don't know. I didn't get that far, so I don't know if that's actually where it's going. Um, so that means that sometimes it's a little hokey. It's it's definitely, you know, it's somebody's tabletop campaign. And and uh, nothing, you know, I don't say that as any negativity against uh, Larian or any of the developers or any of the writers or anything like that. It is very clear that that is what they want this to feel like. They want it to feel like a tabletop campaign um i think the the story that i've played through so far is relatively interesting there are definitely um some characters that you know you really grow to like there are definitely some characters that you really grow to hate i'm not going to tell you whether they're good guys or villains because that's up for you to determine because again it's kind of up to your play style what you want to do how you want to help people you know so on and so forth um I, I'm not going to say it's anything awe-inspiring. They're not breaking any new ground on it, but it, but it is the, I would be okay if this was, you know, I sat down with my with my friends and we were playing D&D and this was the story that one of my friends was portraying to me as as our campaign. Um, so it, it's it's not amazing. It's not the best thing ever written, but it's 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 very, very serviceable. And there are some, like I said, there's some cute moments. You rescue a, a ball for a dog and it's like, the happiest thing on the planet. There are also some very dark moments, um, especially kind of in the prologue, you know, the introduction, the first act as it's teaching how to play the game that, you know, you are a sorcerer and this government is very anti-sorcerer and you're basically in an internment camp. Um, And there are things that happen in internment camps um, that are not very nice and are pretty gruesome. Um, I'm not trying to spoil too much, but it, it is... It is brutal in some regards to to how sorcerers are treated. Um, so yeah, I'd say the story is pretty good. It, it's it's definitely not it's definitely not bad. Now you've said this is a game that you've played on and off for a while, and you've said a lot of positive things over the course of of this conversation. Is there anything that has kept you from fully diving in and really finishing this thing, outside of the fact that? I, I think a good chunk of it has been a, a way to play with uh, other people outside of just the solo player experience. Yeah, I I would say that 
it got repetitive. Um, it got a little bit boring. Um, while the story is good, you sort of get bogged down into all of the other minor quests and everything that's underneath that because it is sort of like it it doesn't want you to it doesn't allow you to go fight the big bad boss at level one. Like despite it being fairly open world, it is broken up into acts. And within those acts, you that's the map you get to interact with. You don't get to go back to the previous map, for, for as far as I can tell. And you don't get to, like, be like, oh, I'm level 5. I'm strong enough to kill God. Like, you don't get to get to make that decision. It does sort of gate you and railroad you in a way that is like, this is what you're capable of handling. You know, go from there. Um, I, I think ultimately it was just me and my friends. We kind of got bored of it. We played it for... Uh, right now I'm looking at like 36 hours. So based on how we play, we probably played it over the course of about four months um, playing it once a week together. And I think we just got to a point where we were bored and we wanted to play something else. And um, that is, again, that's not a criticism of the game. Um, I just think that the, the play style that we had with it, what we were attempting to do, we were done with it. Um, would I go back to it at some point? I, I think, you know, at some point, maybe one day I'll go back and say, okay, I want to, I'm going to do this solo. And now that I know how to do all these, you know, things in the first couple of acts, I'll just burn through those real quick and I'll get to the point where, you know, we left off and, and I'll keep playing from there. Um, but it is one of those things where it's like, you're, you're going to be with this game for a long period of time. And the longer you stretch that out, I think the more some of it, um, some of it starts to grate on you. I do think there are some frustrating little things with like the targeting. Like there were times where I just wanted to move my character next to an enemy, but because I clicked on the enemy, it moved me and then attacked. And now I've wasted my turn because I have no more action points. Um, I would say that some of the aiming of like the spells and whatnot is it's not the most precise um, especially I, I have a battering ram ability, which is basically my character runs from point A to point B. And if it, uh, you know, hits an enemy, the enemy gets knocked over. And there were some times where it looked like I could run, you know, run through an area. And then all of a sudden I get, I run into a, you know, invisible wall, quote unquote, because I didn't see that a box was sticking a pixel out further, uh, than I initially thought it was. So there, there are some, there are some little little ticks that do bother me and I think made the game a bit frustrating, um, especially when we first started playing. Um, but once you sort of got used to the, the mechanics and paid attention enough, um, you really, you really didn't interact with any of those things that much. Um, I would also say it's really, really forgiving with player death, um, that there are, you can get enough like, uh, uh, rejuvenation vials you can buy them pretty much any shop that you go into that if your character dies it's not the end of the world and for the most part you could usually finish an encounter with you know only three or you know, two or three characters left and then after the encounter you can go ahead and, and revive your characters or if you want to use an action point during it you can revive them right then and there and, and sort of get them back into the fight um so yeah i think just ultimately it was we were ready to play something else and i don't think that's really um has anything to do with the game i think it's just that we had spent a very long time with it and we're sort of done yeah and you know i i think that there's uh perhaps i, I may be a, a a misnomer or a misconception in the gaming world sometimes when we talk about games the idea that like well if you didn't finish it that means that there must have been something wrong some clear flaw that kept you from having the totality of the experience but I don't think that just because you didn't finish a game doesn't mean that you didn't enjoy your time with it or that it didn't have the value that you wanted out of it. I, I think some games, uh, you know, certainly some games have endings that can feel satisfying, but some it's about the journey. And when you're talking about a game that's so much built around, you know, the similar principles that you would see in a and d campaign, it certainly sounds like this is a, a journey game rather than a destination game. So I guess the, the ultimate question here, Walter, as always, would you recommend Divinity Original Sin 2? 
Uh, yeah, I would. I think it. I think it is a very good game. Um, I think it is very enjoyable. I think that it covers a a wide spectrum of interests. If you like RPGs, if you like turn-based games, if you like tabletop games, if you're into D and D, if you're just into high fantasy, if you um, just want sort of a I won't say sandbox, but more of an open world experience where you can kind of do whatever you want um, within a within a you know a confines of of some you know, some setup. It's a fairly large map. There's a lot of things to do with it. Um, I think it's very enjoyable. I, I do think that the price point of right now on Steam with it not on sale is it's 45 bucks. I think that's reasonable, but if you waited for a sale, you waited for, you know, winter sale, fall sale, whatever, I, I wouldn't begrudge you for it. You know, it, it is a, um, it is a five-year-old game at this point. And it's actually really funny um, that, that I decided to talk about it. Last week, I just finished um, reading Jason Schreier's book, um, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. And it's basically Jason Schreier has gone out and interviewed um, develop, you know, developers and development teams about you know, like 10 or so different games. Um, and Divinity Original Sin 2 was one of the games, one of the chapters they talked about because they launched it on, on Kickstarter, essentially. The reason they did this game was that they raised a whole bunch of money on Kickstarter for it. Um, and I, I just thought it was really interesting to like read the development story behind it after I played it and and understand some of the frustrations that they had to deal with in creating this whole their whole you know world and, and story and everything from scratch um, and then you know they finally got to release it and and boom it is it's a good game it's a good game um, and I definitely suggest that you play it but play it more than you know don't just give it two or three hours to try and see if you like it give it some time really give it some time i would say try and get through that first act and if you can get through that first act and you're enjoying yourself keep playing it if you if you're struggling to get through that first act if it's really not fun if you're getting frustrated then i think you know at that point you spent 45 dollars or a little bit less for like 10 plus hours at that point i think you would have gotten your money's worth even if it if you're ready to put it down and walk away from it so yeah absolutely would suggest it Awesome. Yeah, I, I will have to check it out. I own it. I've been meaning to play it. I think you've inspired me to give it a shot. If I could have it on the Switch, man, it really would make so many things easier. But it does sound quite nice. Uh, there, there is a Switch version of it. Ooh, that's, that's very important information for me. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Good to know. <laughs> But Chase, other things that would be good to know, I would like mm -hmm. to know what you played this past couple of weeks. Because I'm sure, much like me, you picked something really dark, really gritty, you know, something that, that you, you escaped from a from a, an internment camp or an enemy base of some kind to start. I give me the blood and guts. What what did you what'd you play? Here's the thing. The game that I went through, it's even worse than any of what you just said, Walter. It's being poor that you have to overcome because this is a game that is all about parodying peak capitalism nonsense. And when I say this, I am, of course, referring to the legendary Max Gentleman Sexy Business! Exclamation point is included in the title. Thank you very much. Uh, I love this game. I, I've loved this game for a while. I've played it basically since it came out in 2020. It was originally one of those things where, you know, I have some games that I play with friends that are kind of the, the trashy visual novel types because they're a great silly thing to play at the end of the day. And this game was not that based on the kind of management elements. It didn't have the pacing to be that. But, oh my God, it's so much fun. It's so ridiculously over the top if the name Max Gentleman Sexy Business did not give away that this is a silly game with over the top shenanigans. Uh, I, I I love it. I, I really do. Um, and I'm glad I have an excuse to finally talk about it while I'm still going through some of the, the Three Hopes new game plus shenanigans that I'm still on. Uh, but yeah, it's so Max Gentleman Sexy Business, as you can imagine, is a business management game 
uh, in which you do almost no businessy things whatsoever. Um, you can go to the slums to recruit people to work for you. Uh, you can uh, go and, and collect some uh, money from uh, various different uh, uh, buildings uh, by going to either the uh, trade building in order to get, um, you know, increased market share on certain things or by uh, trying to fight your way through challenges. And when I say fight, I mean you literally go to the town square and use your executives to engage in fisticuffs against rival businesses, because this is Victorian times, and as we know, everything between businesses was settled by duels and punching them out in order to get your way and absorb their business into your own. You start from nothing, having been uh, completely uh, kind of uh, taken aback by the, um, the villain of the game, a, a it, it's it starts i suppose with uh uh i think it's cash villionaire i think is the name <laughs> of the villain here i can double check myself oh, real quick my because i do have uh yes it would be uh cash's villionaire is of course the original villain before the rival that you create in character creation kind of takes over and then at one point you basically kill god because that's how all these games kind of go, right? When you boil it down at the end of the day. Cannot stress enough how silly this game is. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 should I just jump into the mechanics or do I you mean, have questions? Because no, I imagine no, there no, might no, be no, some no, questions. Because no, there are a lot of questions here, folks. There, I, I am looking at the Steam page right now as the the screenshots tick past to, to introduce me to this game. And Chase, uh, one of the characters has a special skill where they are a sugar mama. There is a character named Antoine Hardmeat. I really think you aren't getting at, at <laughs> what this game really is. Chase, do we need to put a triple X rating on this episode title? What, what's going on here, buddy? I mean, yes. I suppose if we take away that it is a game... It is ultimately a story of a ridiculous cast of executive characters that all have their own uh, kind of uh, playing into these kind of stereotypical um, archetypes in visual novel and smut culture, essentially. Let's be real here. You unlock smut featuring these characters in games, so I don't think it's particularly subtle that you have into all these kind of sexual archetypes. Starting with, of course, the titular Max Gentleman, who is your beefy himbo type. Um, Antoine Hardmeat, of course, being a, a kind of princely type. Um, you've got Sinterklaas, if you've ever wanted to, to date and or fuck Santa Claus. That's there for you. Um, bon Bon Von Valentine, obviously, is the courtesan leader, who's very happy to be uh, a sugar mama in a few different ways. Uh, Fanny Shufflebottom is your like foreign princess who has a little bit of that kind of brave energy and in, in her willingness to to fight and do things. And then of course you have Vicky Lestrange who is your big titty goth girlfriend because every game should have a big titty goth girlfriend character that you could hook up with. And that's just half of the cast. There's an entire other half. All of them are that ridiculous. All of them have their own kind of archetypes and, and things to play off of. And as you go through the game and keep beating down these businesses and level up, you build a relationship with them. You, you have tea time every day in which you get to do certain events. And if you do them well, you'll increase your connection to them. And that unlocks scenes, this kind of visual novel component of the game that allows you to... Um, connect with these characters better, get some insight on them. And also, the scenes are all absolutely fucking ridiculous. This is the kind of game where if you think you picked the joke answer, it works. It, it is absolutely justified in the context of the narrative because the narrative is absurd. Once you're at a point where there are no rules, whatever you say is correct, the game can bend you around and take you wherever it is you want to go in a way that is over the top and ridiculous and fun. 
And yes, if you unlock the character all the way through to the end, there is some sexy times. The sexy part of sexy business can come into play, and you can unlock various different outfits of your of these characters with various levels of nudity playing into all these different kind of you know sexual archetypes and everything there as well and that's certainly going to be part of it right going through each character picking out what outfit you think best matches them or that you find the most personally attractive to you it's a very sex positive game it's not a game that is uh exploitative in any way of that in in the sense that like you know, it's it's used as a way to connect to these characters and you can embrace it exactly as much as you want to. You know, there are privacy settings you can put on there. If you don't want any of the nudity stuff, you can do that. If you want to avoid certain themes that are maybe a little bit darker, you can do that too. The game can tailor itself based on the experience that you want to have. But this is a game that doesn't think there's anything wrong with sex or sexuality or embracing the ridiculousness of that and the ridiculousness, the cartoonishness of some of these archetypes that we have in the visual novel and smut kind of worlds. And there's something really fun and liberating about that. As someone who did the whole Catholic school thing for a huge portion of my life and always had sex in the back of my head as like this thing that you should be either ashamed of or just not talk about, or even in the best case scenario, it's like a thing you only talk about with your partner or whatever else. This kind of laissez-faire, it's a thing that happens in the world, and it's a thing that these characters all engage in in ridiculous, over-the-top ways, but in a way that is safe to explore and really humanizes these over-the-top caricatures in a way that gets you to be connected to them even as every single step along the way is some of the most ridiculous shit you've ever read in your life. There's something really cool about that. And I, I think the mini games and things that you play in order to get those affection points do a good job of keeping you engaged and keeping you um, kind of constantly looking for opportunities to uh, expand the gallery that you have and these characters and these different um, kind of either magazine photos or the private collection, as they say. There's a lot to unlock. There's a lot to be rewarded by. And you can personalize it again however you want. You want only the female characters nude, only the male characters nude, no nude, all nude. It's all there. And I think that that's really cool, honestly. I'm still I'm still stunned by just seeing some of these screenshots go by. But yeah, it seems <laughs> it seems very intriguing. Uh one would say almost titillating. Uh that mm. this game is, is so is so incredibly sex forward and sex positive. Um that it's willing to talk about it. That I think that that visual novels are in an essence, given a bit more leeway and a little bit more of a pass um, uh, to, to do those kinds of things, because I think that's that's sort of what they've been used for uh, in the past. Uh, that being said, Chase, obviously there has there's got to be more to this game other than scantily clad, possibly Victorian era uh, men and women of leisure. So the the gameplay what is what is the actual point of the game what are you trying to accomplish and, and how do you do that i mean you got to get that cash my man it's all about trying to make your business as rich as possible and you do that again from the ground up every time you start the story the villains have come in, you've lost everything due to incredibly comedic and ridiculous shenanigans, and you're having to build from the ground up. You start with one executive, and that executive uh, has a, a particularly abi uh, particular ability you get to take advantage of. Every executive has an ability, but you, know, you can decide which one you start with and will always have with you. The rest of the characters all get kind of unlocked over the course of the game. And in the first campaign, you know, the shortest campaign... Uh, where you're just starting out, you won't get all of them in that single run. So you really have to um, 
you know, you, you focus in on, on the characters that you have and you focus on unlocking their scenes and their costumes and whatever because you want to get to know them better and you want to have that connection. But the gameplay itself is all about taking over all these rival businesses so that you can take down your rival and win capitalism, essentially. You look at the, the loading screen of this game is Max Gentleman literally swimming in a pool of gold like Scrooge McDuck style, with fountains that spew out even more gold onto you. Uh, this is, that, it's, it's absurd, but that's the, that's the whole, everything about this game is absurd. So of course that side of it is absurd as well. And again, none of running a business is about running a business. It's about um, using your two skills, your fisticuff skills, which are how much damage you do, whenever you go to the town square to fight rival businesses and punch them into submission so that they get assimilated into your company. Or your mustache skill, which is the style skill. And that is what you use in order to recruit more people, these commoners, to work for you. Um, and it's all about exploiting them for as much as you can. And no, you don't have to worry. You never have to pay their salaries. That's not why we're here. This is peak Victorian era capitalism, it is all about exploiting the loopholes and everything that you can find. And of course, as you play through the game, you'll unlock more and more buildings. You'll unlock a kind of uh, travel center. You're able to go off to these different countries in which uh, you, these different locations, you can unlock certain resources and things. So you have a place to send these characters when you're not using them and you have those kind of extra spots because you can only use so many characters at a time. You have to expand your board of executives. And while there is a kind of stamina system that prevents you from being able to spam the same executive at the same place regularly, so you need to go deeper into the company to ensure that you're constantly able to do things, um, you will eventually get to a point where you have these extra characters and you can send them off on trips to go get these extra things for you. Uh, there are, you know, you go to the tax office and you can uh, try to uh, convert some of your resources into these various levels of ways of bribing certain officials in order to get special resources that can upgrade different parts of your company and give you a leg up on the competition. And eventually you unlock the tavern, the pub, which literally affects your tax rate. If you get far enough in the game that you're on kind of the quote-unquote hard difficulty, they start taxing you. The horror, Walter. Imagine taxing a company. But don't worry. You can go there, and uh, if you're willing to spend some of those mustache-style points, uh, you can lower that tax rate for yourself every month. And you can also, uh, you know, eventually these kind of spirits start popping up. And you have to, to vanquish them by spending fisticuffs points at the temple. So you have, uh, in which the temple, once fully charged, shoots lasers to kill the ghosts because that's how exorcism works in this game. So there are a lot of these, like, it's basically this tug of war of you wanting to unlock money so that you can unlock certain buildings and, uh, you know, recruit certain people get these items that can make you stronger and give passive bonuses to your business. That then becomes gold that has to be made at a factory where you convert your money into this separate currency. So there's kind of a an in-between step now and you use that to get the really good upgrades. Um, you can get what are known as, as Kingsmen. You can go train and get these kind of passive bonuses to your battling so that all of your characters do more damage when they go to the town square to fight and you know when you're playing on the hardest difficulty which is what i've spent the most time on now um you have this constant back and forth where you need your characters to have high stats because that's the only way you're going to be able to take down these larger businesses you have to have enough people that you can take the losses that you will get from fighting in the town square because the enemy will damage you as you are damaging them. You have to have enough bodies to throw at the problem as victims of capitalism, essentially. Literally reduced to uh, numbers that get knocked out in favor of your company making a profit. I wonder if they have something to say about that. I don't know. Uh, might, be, might, be, might be sending a message somewhere in there. Um, but you also need to have the fisticuffs up so that you can do enough damage to knock them out quickly. And 
you need to have characters that can spend those points in order to lower your tax rate and kill those spirits, which means you have certain characters that you want to like kind of drain their stuff and then train it back up at either the barber for your mustache skill uh, or I, I think there's a boxing ring for your fisticuff skill. So you get in this rhythm of like, okay, I take characters that have low stats in the thing that I need to, to drain. I train them at these facilities for the least amount of money because the fewer points you have in a thing, the less expensive it is to train it up. You then send them, once they've been trained, to those facilities to drain those stats so that you can lower your tax rate or make sure that your businesses are as effective as possible by taking out those spirits that are making it harder for you to move forward. And you're trying, there's just this constant ebb and flow while you're balancing the need to do those things once a month as these spirits come in and as your tax rate resets with the overall objective of needing to take out your rival as quickly as you can because there's only so many times you can renew the loan on your business in order to keep things going. There is a time that uh, you are constantly having to stay aware of. You have to maintain enough efficiency to defeat the final boss before that contract expires. And after a while, once you've gotten all of the building upgrades, the only way you can do that is by spending more and more gold than you did the last time to buy yourself another week. So it is very much at its core a resource management game, which is kind of why I started, you know, you're right that the reason that you play Max Gentleman Sexy Business is not for the resource management part of the game. It's for the characters and the ridiculous over-the-top stories and unlocking the outfits that you can get because they all have a bunch of different outfits and uh, unlocking the dates that you can go on together and the galleries that allow you to get these different images and the stories that they have, which are, of course, all smut stories written by one of the romance interests, Gun Moses, because, of course, the fan fiction <laughs> smut writer is named Gun Moses. What else would he be named? <laughs> Uh, and, and there's just, like, that's the color and the flair and the style that makes you be interested in this game. But it's not the thing that drives the majority of your experience with the game. You get those tea dates to help build your affection up, but it'll take a few dimes before you've gotten it high enough that you are able to unlock that next date or that next outfit. It's not... You know, it, it's kind of drip-fed to you, and the resource management side of it is the bulk of your experience. It's building up this business and getting this efficient management machine so that you can do the things that will allow you to unlock those moments. Those are the things that kind of keep you going beyond um, just trying to make things more efficient than they were the last time you booted up the game. And unlike most research management games, it does have a definitive ending. If you beat the final rival in each level that you have, the business succeeded, and you have to start over from the very beginning with a new head of your company and, and kind of build it back up from the ground up, which means that there is a natural pace and ebb and flow to it that doesn't necessarily overstay its welcome as long as those mechanics are something that you find engaging. So... That's the, really the, the question, um, is whether you enjoy the gameplay enough to get to the thing that drew you into it in the first place. Which is obviously the, 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 the Max Gentleman part, not the sexy business. Well, are you here for the sexy or the business? You need to, both of them equally important in this case. That's really what it comes down to. The sexy is very much there. The business is the core of this game. And the fact that it does it really well, that it's a tight, well-managed resource management sim, like, it doesn't play like one of those shitty porn games you've all seen a thousand of, right? Like, there are a lot of games out there that are just like, well, here's boobs, so you want to play this game now. And that's not what this is. This is a fully-fledged game that said, hey, wouldn't it be fun if this management game that parodies so many of these capitalism elements and dials it up to 11 also had executives that dialed it up to 11, and why not engage in this kind of, you know, sexiness, essentially. 
entirely fair. And, and and I jokingly said it when Chase brought this game up and I looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, this is this is a Chase game. But unfettered capitalism. That doesn't seem to fit you, Chase. That that's the no. one that's the one part that I'm kind of I'm kind of struggling with here for what if I was to design a game for Chase, what would it include? I don't think it would include unfettered capitalism. Um, but you you spoke it incredibly highly of the game. Are there any? I want to say butts and make a ha 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 other than the the nude butts. But like, <laughs> come on, there I'm, are a lot of butts in this game. I'm You're thirty years wrong. old. I'm bet I should be better than making butt jokes. <laughs> but Chase, are there any butts to this game? First of all, you don't have to claim that you are above making butt jokes in a game that makes way more butt <laughs> jokes than you or I ever will. That's not a concern you need to have when talking about Max Gentleman's sexy business. Um, as far as downsides I would have with the game, uh, there are very few, honestly. I, I love this game. This is one of my uh, unabashedly recommend kind of games. If you If this sounds at all like the kind of thing you would enjoy, you will enjoy it. It is as well done at what it's trying to be as you could possibly have. If there are criticisms, and I, I, I think that any game can have criticisms, right? I, I would say the biggest comes down to replayability once you've been in the game on the highest difficulty. There are no, like, it, it does have a story. Its story is absurd and ridiculous, and none of it makes any logical sense, which is why it all works. But there's no you once the story is told once you've been the final mission and you know where things go you can't really be playing for the story anymore you can play for individual dates but eventually you're going to unlock all those too and eventually you will unlock all of the outfits now i haven't unlocked all the outfits because a lot of outfits have been added since i completed the game quote unquote um so there are things i could go back and just purely farm outfits and purely farm a couple private gallery things that I didn't quite uh, get for the uh, battle butler and the business maid. The business maid, of course, being the best character in this game. But all of the love to business maid. Um, but, you know, it's like, oh darn, a game has an end, you know? <laughs> like, it feels like such a minor criticism to say that when you beat the plot of the game, you've seen the plot of the game. And when you've gotten the dates for the characters, you're not going to get more dates outside of, you know, the replaying them to see what the other text options do, because there are multiple options within each scene that provide different kinds of color and are easily replayable through the menu. It's not like you have to re-unlock it or, or whatever else. So... I, it's a very minor criticism. I, I, I think that uh, of the friends, and I, I've shown a couple of friends this game, um, it is a game where if you're going in because you want the like really fun and ridiculous visual novel, you might struggle with the fact that it is a resource management game first and a visual novel second. It is about the gameplay. That's the majority of your experience. And if you're not a fan of that genre and you just want to get to the story, you might find yourself frustrated at the pacing of it, that you have to go through so much gameplay to get to those narrative bits. Um, and if you are playing it as a resource management sim, primarily, then you might find, especially by the time you get to the hardest difficulty, that it is, to a certain extent, a solved puzzle. I never struggled to beat this game. I never failed with any of the companies that I built, because it's very clear what your goals have to be. And as long as you're paying attention and shifting out executives when you need to, pausing the game to save as much energy as you can and, and taking advantage of the opportunities the game presents you to get ahead of the curve, you're not going to have a hard time. So you're playing because it's very good at both of those things while having both of those things. If you're just looking for one of them, this is not a game that is the best at one of those two things, simply because it's designed to be both. But here's the thing. I don't want to play a shitty porn game. I want to play a game with a plot 
and ridiculous characters and genuinely good gameplay that also gives me the fun sexuality and the ability to explore these characters who, despite being very clearly and very intentionally caricatures, do have a lot of heart to them. They're really well-written. The writing in this game is fantastic. It's ridiculous and absurd, but you're always along for the ride, and that's great. I, You know, I, any flaw in criticism I would make for it is essentially boiled down to it might not be the thing that you want. But if you think that it might be, it is. And it's fantastic. I'm, I'm still just stunned at looking at the screenshots coming across <laughs> Steam. I've seen... I, I've, I've been watching them for like 20 minutes as you've been talking and, and, and listening to you, and I'm still just like, I can't fucking believe that this is a game. I... I can't believe I, I can't wait to see what uh, the men who wear many hats, which is the name of this developer, make next. I am fascinated by whatever they're up to. Um, oh, wait, they were the ones who did Oregon Trail. Of course they were. That makes all of the sense. Um, Oregon Trail is a very silly zombie or Oregon Trail kind of uh, game. Um, but yeah, look, I got I. I just think they've got such a good sense of humor and it's so ridiculous and over the top. And yeah, you're going to look at a lot of those screenshots and the different things you unlock in these visual novels and the insane aspects of the choices that you're presented. And, and, and of course, um, the, the kind of uh, smut mags that, uh, according to this screenshot, have not been approved by the Board of Public Good and Decency. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be a little bit weird. It's going to be a little bit uh, over the top. But that's the whole point, is that there is no game that plays like this. You're never going to find a game that does all of the things that this game does, as well as this game does it. And... It's one of a kind. It truly is. I've never played a game like it before. I'm not sure I ever will again. If you, listening at home, can tell me a game that is like this, please do. Please give me more games like this because there is so much to love about this game. And whatever mild criticisms I may have, there's just... I don't know, a, a game that's this unique and made with so much love and so much character and so much heart is always going to be a win for me. And I, yeah, I, I again, unabashedly love this game. Uh, cannot recommend it more. I, I That was what I was going to ask, and you just answered that question. Man, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, it is so intriguing. It's so intriguing. And, and you didn't do me wrong when I played Monster Prom. I I don't know. I I might I might have to give this a shot. <laughs> it's really fun, man. It's only twenty bucks on Steam, so it's very approachable. The one thing I will say, if you approach it like Monster Prom, you're gonna struggle because it is much Monster Prom. Every event you get the shenanigans. It's so at its surface exactly what it is. But you like management games. You've talked about several management games on this channel. So I think you would find a lot to love here. And I would love to hear your thoughts on it if you do, because there really is nothing quite like Max Gentleman's Sexy Business. But you know what? There's also nothing quite like this episode of Steam Cleaners. It's one of a kind, as are uh, all episodes, by the fact that time is temporary and fleeting. But if you enjoyed the show... Uh, you should absolutely hit us up on social media. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Chase, I'm going to save you like five seconds of naming this podcast uh, when, when it gets uploaded. You got to call it Dante's Divine Sexy Business. <laughs> you know what? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I have marked that down in my notes. Well taken, good sir. I just I, I I was thinking about it. I was like, I gotta put I gotta put both of the games into the title that somehow. Uh if you thought that was funny or if you, you don't think it was funny, 
you can find, find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, you can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod on Twitter as well. Uh, as always, please you know follow along in the podcast, either the main uh, Rough Drafts feed where you will get both versions of the podcast or on these separate feeds. You can get Final Cut if you just want the movies. If you want more sexy business sim games from Chase, uh, listen along uh, to Steam Cleaners on its own individual feed, or like I said, listen to the Rough Drafts feed to get them both. Uh, I I need to close this window because I am still just I'm still just in awe <laughs> of this game, and and I'm not gonna be able to do anything else. So, uh, yeah, check it out. I I'm probably going to. <laughs> Yeah, I, again, cannot recommend it more highly if this sounds fun. Of course, you can follow me at Chase Wassener on Twitter. Uh, again, if you know a game like it that you think I should have in my repertoire, by all means, let me know. And don't bother sending me Hoonie Pop. I've played both of the games in that series. I'm good there. It's good. It's very good. Not quite as good as Max Gentleman's Sexy Business, but again, what is truly at the end Shots of the day? Shots fired. Shots fired. It's a good game. Anyway... We'll be back next week with two entirely different games. But until next time, goodbye, Internet.